back. It's Nota Bene. Lincoln and building. What is going on, Nate Freeman? Another beautiful day here in Kingston, New York. Autumnal. That's the new shit. You're looking so autumnal. Uh, this is an auditory medium, so people can't see. Um, mm-hmm. uh, zooming in with Nate Freeman in his upstate palatial estate. He's rocking the a very, uh, I would say, southwestern influenced North Face fleece this, uh, this over the true. gray heather T-shirt. Thanks, uh, thanks is it a bit, check. Of, bit of a nip and chill in the air? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm also repping my you know local arts institution with a Dia hat. Shout strong, out, strong, shout strong. Out to uh, th- this is the final week of uh, you know shuttling between Kingston and the city. By this time next week, I'll be moving back to Manhattan. We miss you, man. The city is like a full of life, uh, like really. And I feel like the only thing it's lacking is the Freeman Charlesworth families. Yeah. Well, I mean, the streets, if they're lacking, they'll not be lacking anymore come a week. I mean, now. what are you getting up to that? You're drinking a lot of cider? You're doing some apple picking? Uh, what's going on up What's there? funny is I have to drive by the Brooklyn Cider Company or some bullshit whenever I go to Poughkeepsie to take the train into the city. That that looks like a fucking operation. Like, these motherfuckers just, like, came out to fucking, I don't know, you know, some little fucking horse ranch in the middle of, like, you know, I, I don't know what town it is. It's probably some bullshit bumfuck nowhere between here and Poughkeepsie and every Thursday Friday Saturday it's packed with losers who love cider yeah I mean the uh, the marketing of the upstate lifestyle is really hit for me at least a nader maybe it's working for you you know how many apples um, I've picked since I've been up here how many zero because I don't do you that know, I, shit I love the I love the scam of going and paying someone more than the cost of a bag of organic farmers market apples to go and do the labor for them uh, uh, while wrestling. Like uh, in my case, two; in your case, it would be one. Kind of unruly children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never a really great time. You do it for the photo, for the Christmas card of you and the family in in sweaters. Uh, ideally speckled with leaves but it's always too hot it's always not really autumn yet so you're sweating under the sweaters it's it's it's, it's, it's i'm gonna end up doing it don't get me wrong i will I'm be sure you uh, fucking will. I, I, I will the, be the frog march real. to the, the orchard the grift is totally real um Ugh. it is what it is so but new york really is uh you know i'm gonna try and avoid it because new york feel, really feels alive mm-hmm. so this week i think it was monday morning i had a 9 a.m breakfast at lodi so i was on the six yeah. train walking from park over to over to Rock Center, just wall to wall people heading to the office. Patagonia vests over button downs mm-hmm. as far as the eye could see. The bankers back, were back. It oh. really felt back. The traffic, fucking absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to get even worse next week with the UN and the president in town. Um, I know. Like, it seems like people are back in offices. Every meal I go to, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm-hmm. uh, balls to the wall. We had a loady breakfast. What else did we we hit up this week? Had a great uh, cook shop meal uh, with a friend of the pod, DB, mm-hmm. uh, who received a hat on his birthday, Love as it. well as uh, tennis maestro Erica Samuels, Love who it. had uh, initially invited us both. I had a really weird experience at this lunch, man. Why? What's weird about so a the food uh, there's nothing about cook shop i want to say cook shop the food was incredible i had a sick fucking late summer salad of peaches tomatoes and beets that was out of control good with some there's like two places in chelsea west chelsea that you can rely on to not get food poisoning and that's one of them yeah um but i'm sitting there looking out the windows and it's really bright and it's noisy and like i'm starting to get like tracers in my vision and there's like a prism, a prism in my vision, and I'm freaking out. I was like, "Did somebody dose me? Did someone come back from Burning Man with a little bit of LSD still like clinging to their skin that I air kissed or something?" <laughs> I'm I'm tripping out, man. And you know how neurotic I can get. Mm-hmm. Like I'm literally like, "Am I having a flashback? What is going on? Is this is this finally after many years the psychic break? Is this, is this the end?" Is it, it might like, be. Like call up the straitjacket people. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank God, Erica and 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 DB are are close friends, so they're like, "Are you okay? What's going on? I don't know." I'm calling people. I'm damn. It was from what I can tell, it came and went in about 30 minutes. It was an ocular migraine, I guess. But I, an ocular migraine, but I was not in a good place. I thought that, you know, it was game over for this. It was not the tentacles of some fish show in 2003 coming back to just grab your brain. (laughs) No, it wasn't, which is really what I thought it was, man. Mm -hmm. It was a scary moment. 
Uh, but anyway, so that was a banging lunch. The room was absolutely bonkers full. I, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I saw it before I before I tripped out and went down the rabbit hole. I saw Keith uh, Keith Rivers, former NFL player, oh, uh, curator Rivers. and collector in the room. Uh, a number of other notable people. Later in the week, I had like a consummate New York City uh, business lunch with my lawyer at Lavenue, mm-hmm. which is located on the ninth floor of Saks. I know where Lavenue um, is. I've been to Lavenue. Okay, just making sure for the people. Um, you know, a, a, a late who lunch and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of midtown hotspot um and i think has really taken over some of the heat from the dearly departed barneys with the same crew that would show up for the barneys lunch i think have switched over to lavenue from what i can tell obviously my lawyer is a known entity there we had the corner booth they Let's had go. her drink ready to go as soon as she walked in the door it was incredible <laughs> to watch this this someone who's uh, been in the annals of power and cultural kind of the art business practice for you know 30 years work that room was uh, a sight to behold like a true master like someone that even you and i could learn from um shout out to patty uh you know i i actually dipped into the city for uh some some meetings and a business dinner i i you know fired up the bat phone got a table at corner bar shout out ignacio uh just treated like royalty there i mean it's it's truly the best place to get dinner in the city right now i think yeah, I mean, it's a bit far down for me. You know, I had an event, uh, uh, had to have a, didn't have to, wanted to have a dinner with the wife last night, decided to check out La Rock finally. Mm-hmm. So I had a breakfast in Rock Center this week and a dinner there. I mean, it's truly alive over there mm-hmm. in kind of a great way, a little bit cursed. They get this roller rink where the ice rink is. and We don't like that, but, you know. It's because it feels like it's trying really hard, like they, a little bit too try hard. They brought all of the best restaurants from downtown that I can easily walk to, which I enjoy, up kind of up to your neck of the woods which uh, yeah it was it was nice we didn't have to schlep all the way downtown it was like a 15 minute uber although there was traffic even at eight even at like eight o'clock at night which felt good um i gotta say though la rock uh i don't want to judge it on this first experience um the food was exceptional food was Mm -hmm. out of control maybe i'm getting old it was the loudest room i've ever been in uh seated a very nice two-top uh really close to my partner Mm -hmm very hard to have conversation um like really out of control i think it's a cost-cutting thing no one wants to put down the white tablecloths anymore because then they have to pay for the laundry bills and it was just bananas and then you get the clacky clack clack of all the shit going on the tables i get it yeah and people yelling it was you know but you know a nice a really nice room uh all sorts of uh semi-notable people there we had uh man rappella herself leandra was seated right next to us uh, said what's up to her um, or she actually said, "What's up to my wife?" She didn't notice me at all. Um, but that's okay, yeah, but- and that seems, you know, that that seems all right. Um, but it definitely the energy in there was was really great. But uh, like the service was a little wonky. They, they, they get some they get some things to iron out in there. But I'm sure it'll come together. And it was nice to have a proper, well cooked, incredible meal and not having to schlep uh, south of uh, 14th Street. Meanwhile, in 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 uh, our beloved slash cursed Times Square, when I was there on Monday night, uh, uh, alleged Drake like you know plus one named zach bia i'm not sure if you're aware of him i'm not sure if anyone Definitely under not. 40 is he was djing some event in the middle of the block there was some peter Thiel connection there's some sam bankman free connection all kinds of la crypto people were there it was just truly bonkers shit's getting gnarly down in diamond square let me tell you yeah i'm never leaving i'm never leaving uptown again i did all all of that was an absolute turnoff to me uh but speaking of uh speaking of downtown personalities and uh, wonderful people i do want to give a shout out dean kissick um who had a, mm-hmm. a hold on one second nate i'm so sorry Sorry about that, Nate Freeman. Everyone else, uh, you know, the the boss called, the main man called, and I got to pick up that that bat phone. I'm shocked that hadn't happened yet, honestly. No, literally, there's probably two people, uh, one of them being my wife, that can call in the midst of a podcast recording that I'm going to uh, pause and pick up for, and that was one of them. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, anyway, Dean Kissick, uh, uh, as I was saying before, good friend of the pod, Dean Kissick, uh, and past guest, has an incredible, uh, mm-hmm. his monthly article in the, what the fuck is his publication? Spike. The Downward it's Spike Magazine. Spike. It's called the, okay. the Downward Spiral is just called Spike Magazine. And yes, this month's edition is quite remarkable. It's uh, interrogation of the Nathan Fielder, uh, ingenious show, the rehearsal, but also an indictment of downtown culture-ish general sort of, you know, uh, you know, on we, and it's really incredible. 
Yeah, Dean's always worth reading. I think this is one of his best columns to date and uh, and really, really incredible. So definitely check that out. Um, what else? Before we get to the main art news of the week, any, any other fun gossip that we should know about? Uh, man, I mean, I was supposed to be on a plane to London last night. That didn't happen. Thank you, Her Majesty the Queen. Well, you know. Listen, uh, you know, you'll be we'll we'll all be over there fairly soon. Freeze is just around the corner. We got a little European sojourn coming mm-hmm. up. Um, but back here in the States, we're gearing up for auction season. Obviously, we've spoken about uh Jesus, a big is it already Simon auction the Christie's season? got I mean, for those of us in the game, like those guarantee contracts are mm-hmm. out in, in your inbox. That's true. And uh yeah, this one like really struck me in, in an annoying way. MoMA is selling around seventy million dollars worth of gear, not really from their collection, but it was gear that was a long term loan from the estate of uh William Paley, mm-hmm. uh who was uh obviously a, a media massive media Titan. entrepreneur. Which network did he start? CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting. You know, incredible figure, incredible collection, and they aren't selling everything that was from his collection. Some of the uh some of the long term loans are, are gonna stay there they're selling off dupes you and i unlike some people like you know deaccessions happen there's been a lot of sales mm-hmm. recently kind of, of of duplicates from different museum collections specifically to fund the purchase of underrepresented groups and i actually think that is a valuable use of those funds and i think anytime a museum sells work from the collection and it goes towards buying more art mm-hmm. um well not great like you know i'm not a uh, i'm not a fundamentalist unlike some people on the internet but this one caught my eye because uh glenn lowry the long time and some would say too long uh head of the museum of modern art mm-hmm. here in new york is basically saying that the money is going to go towards uh beefing up their digital presence yeah and i'm not sure how many web designers you can get for 70 million dollars these <laughs> days but i think more than enough and like the absolute mealy mouth bullshit. Uh, if you'll excuse my excuse my language, that uh, that he he says that they're going to use this money for. It's like more digital walkthroughs of exhibitions. What what else did he say? Nate? I think there's going to be a streaming network, which like no one's going to watch. Like, are you just going to fire up the MoMA streaming network and just like watch some egghead talk to you about a fucking Picasso? Unless they give Dean like a TV party style, you know, chaotic, crazy, drug fueled, uh, you know, like no holds barred television channel this thing is going to be watched by no one who cares yeah it absolutely absolutely who cares it seems ridiculous and it seems like i mean the, the point of the matter is this it seems like all the press that i read um uh, meaning the journal and the times which both wrote standalone uh stories and then kind of the art press then picked up and quoted from those like they took this shit hook line and sinker without mm-hmm. even a little bit of pushback which is just uh absolutely mind-boggling to me apparently um, they're also c- buying nfts which you don't need to ask how what i think about that because. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they say they they said they're they're looking closely at them, <laughs> but I mean, think the the fact of the matter is is that their budgets have some holes because of the obviously the pandemic created a, a lack of gate revenue, mm-hmm. a lack of visitors, and so they're trying to plug those holes with this money. Is my sense, uh, but we wouldn't know because none of the journalists that basically took the uh, press release from the auction house mm-hmm. and cut and pasted it into their articles uh, chose to ask any insightful questions. It doesn't seem like as to what is this money going toward. What what are you going to do? And they just, you know, just Glenn Lowry said some bullshit about like, you know, online courses or something, you know, I'm skeptical, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I'm super skeptical. But for me, it's just really, uh, you know, I, you know, Kelly Crow is um, friendly with her. I like her. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I hate to say this, but I, I don't think she I think she must have been distracted when she got this press release and decided to write the article because it seems really, really a little bit too cozy with the annals of power, which I think you could say for all the art press, not including yourself, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. And not to give Twitter too much, you know, credence, but no story has lit up my Twitter feed quite like this one, where everyone was angry about this. Like, you know, just yeah. the puppy's angry too. Yeah, dogs dog. don't like this fucking bullshit. The dog is going nuts. All right, sorry, that the dog just attacks anyone who comes to us. No, um, all good. We're, we're wrapping up here. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think there's much more to say other than like I call bullshit. And I think anyone else with like more than four brain cells is going to call bullshit as well. That being said, the Til- the Tillman show is quite quite good. <laughs> <laughs>
So I haven't seen. I'm actually uh, after this. That's on the agenda today. I'm gonna go meet with the client. You got the Tillman show. We get a car and driver. Zoom around. We have Sherry Husepian is opening at Rachel Uffner tonight. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to go check that out. Wish uh, I with could a be dinner there. at El Buco. Uh, I think Love that's it. gonna be a good time. I'm gonna try and see as many shows that I might have missed. And coming up uh, in like just a few seconds, once we wrap this up, we have Adam Cohen uh, from A Hug from the Art World Gallery as well as the Gagosian Galleries mm-hmm. will be joining us to tell us a bit about his journey and about his gallery and a show he's opening up or just opened up last night. Uh, one thing I do need to touch on just because, you know, we had such great chatter last week on the restaurant scene, especially about Woo's, a restaurant that's near and dear to both of us. Uh, good luck going there right now because at least as of yesterday, closed by the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Um, oof. oof. Ooh, you hate to see it. You hate to you see hate it, to Nate see Freeman. It. I know. I mean, Luz is a beloved establishment. I like going there. It's a little disconcerting reading that uh, notice, <laughs> though. But as, as as friends of ours in the group chat pointed out, you know, Luz has always been a champ in the don't look too close category because, mm-hmm. you know, going down to those bathrooms, I mean, you saw some things you maybe didn't want to see. Wanted to put those out of mind if you were digging as you were, as you were digging into the delicious foods. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully they get it sorted over there. Obviously, you know, there always are cultural issues when it comes to, uh, you know, ethnic restaurants sometimes in the New York City Health Department in terms of, you know, meat that's hanging, smoked meats and cured meats that are hanging, and they don't always love that and stuff. But uh, I actually went on to the, the DOH uh, uh, website and saw what the violations were, and I'm not going to enumerate them here. No one wants to hear it, no. but not not pretty. It wasn't pretty. I'm I'm pulling for woos. You know, those guys are the best. They've they follow me on Instagram. I was going to shoot them a DM, see if, how they're doing. Maybe I'll, I'll do that and I'll inform the pod, you know, once I have the inside track. That's the there. dopest humble brag I've heard in a long time. Woos follows you on Instagram. That's it, so bollock. They like and comment on every post. It's amazing. I love to see that. Love to see that. When they do reopen, I think we should have a celebratory dinner. Absolutely. Um, we you know, we have a different kind of uh, of Asian meal coming up next week with some buddies. Uh, yeah. And I'm pretty excited to report back to the people about our experience at uh, one of the famed and most, I would say, most important scene restaurants in New York City. I think it's one of the most important restaurants full stop in the last 50 years. Maybe not this exact location, but just in general, the ethos of it. I wish I could I could go off on more, but that's for okay. Yeah, we'll, let's save it for next week. Let's save it for next week. And everyone, hold on. We've Adam Cohen, uh, who's obviously absolutely hilarious and such a great raconteur, coming up right after, after this. This. Welcome back to Nota Bene. I am honored and highly amused to be joined by a hug from the art world proprietor. Adam Cohen. Adam, what's going on? Hey, thanks for having me. We are sitting here in fucking Chelsea, which is becoming just more and more of an annoying uh, neighborhood to get to and certainly to park in, but in this absolutely gorgeous townhouse that now houses your gallery. And all these words are so absurd to me to say. Uh, It's an absolutely beautiful, stunning space. Uh, People have probably been in here before. It's had several iterations of different galleries just next to David's Werner on 19th Street. The OG's Werner, uh, not the new school one. Um, surrounded by these like elegant paintings. I mean, weird, but like weirdly elegant paintings by Howie Howie Mitchell. Is that how you say his name? Howie Michaels. Michaels, excuse me. Yeah, don't worry. I was trying to kind of Hebrewize it, I guess. Um, and the space is like so beautiful. Like I walked in here. I haven't been here since it's been under your control since the beginning of the summer. And it's like a it's a real gallery. And I'm not sure why that should surprise me, but it does. Well, I'm thrilled that you think so. I mean. The business or the the uh, a hug from the art world started as a um, a rogue merchandising campaign, so maybe that's why it surprises you. Well, yeah, I mean, it started out as you kind of fucking around on Instagram, now. Yeah, I mean, that was the idea. I mean, sort of. Um, I uh, our dear friend Joel Messler um, gave me a drawing once upon a time um, that said, "I just need a hug from the art world." written on it so the text is sort of abbreviated from something that he wrote there was an image of his own mother or i think it's his mother in a nighty but a see-through nighty so you can see her boobs um through the nighty with the open arms as if to like cuddle with joel little joel um but uh yeah that's what the uh the original um the imagery comes from and why did that phrase 
appeal to you at that specific moment in your life? Do you think a hug? For, I just need a hug from the art world. I think it appealed to Joel. Joel was trying to get some love. I don't know if that necessarily appealed to me, but I, um, when Joel moved out of uh, Manhattan to set up his gallery rental in East Hampton, um, I asked him if I could borrow his name rental to curate a my first pop-up and he was like uh yeah sure so he spent all this time trying to market himself leaving the city and I brought him right back into the city and borrowed his name to do a pop-up with uh Oliver Clegg so I curated it under the guise of rental gallery and Joel was like I just I don't want anything to do with it um set up an LLC so you can invoice out of it, which I did. And uh, that's where I, I looked at the drawing on my desk and I was like typed into company's house or whatever you call it, like legal Zoom. I just need a hug from the art world. And they said it was too long. So I got rid of I just need her. And that was that. <laughs> that's brilliant. The the, the, the web form was, was, was too small for the original name. It's still too long for my credit cards on Amex. So I have to just call myself hug from art world. <laughs> that's that's so broken English. I love it. Um, so you you did the pop up first with Ollie. Uh, I did, and I don't think my wife Michelle wanted me to do it in the slightest. She was like, "What are you doing? Why don't you bother focus? Like sell some Picassos sell some at Gagosian?" Yeah. And um, I was like, "Well, you know, I do that in any case." So I just wanted to give myself some sort of. Uh, it was a form of spirituality, I think. Like I wanted and craved working with artists and giving back and doing something with people that don't have the voice that we uh, are surrounded by, or like a voice in our version of the art world. So Ollie I'd known for years, 10 years, and I'd bought his degree show um, um, years and years ago in London, and he asked me to to, to do this with him and he kept pestering me and so eventually I caved and it turned into be a wonderful collaboration and we did really well. Those were the McDonald's, McDonald's uh, Happy yeah, Meal pictures? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They were paintings based upon people trying to sell their McDonald's Happy Meals on eBay and Ollie took their like these photographs and painted yeah, the, the little the toys. The yeah, little exactly, toys, yeah, exactly, exactly. He's an incredible show. I mean, always an incredible artist. Yeah, yeah, no, he's an amazing artist. We did really well. We sold 65 paintings. And so I think Michelle was really proud of the fact, or maybe she was surprised more than proud. And she, as a joke, got someone at my office to take Joel's drawing and scan it. And um, for Father's Day, I ended up with t multiple baseball caps, socks, folders, pens, so oh, I said socks, but anything you can possibly think of, lip balm, all with this insignia or this branded merchandise. Yeah, she, she for loves a, a branding. She loves a branding opportunity. Absolutely. She loves a branding opportunity. But it was a gag to start with, and then I went out proud as can be with my uh, new trucker hat and bumped into Jeff Koons that evening and at a, an opening of a group show at Armin Wright Gallery, and um, and I put the uh, the hat on Jeff's head. I asked him if he'd wear it and let me take a picture. And he said yes. And that's how the Instagram account started. I plonked Jeff's head on the on an Instagram account, a hug from the art world, and said he chose green because it was a green hat and a black hat. And then I put like, and then I carried on going. The next day I got to Rashid, he chose black. And, and then the next day, one of Joel's friends and my friend, Ricky Mane, who worked with Frank Stella over at uh, Ma um, Marianne Boski Gallery, um, he said he was going to see Frank the next day, and so I should send him a hat, because he'd saw what we were doing somehow. And so for the follow-up third day in a row, I got a picture of Frank Stella, the wonderful, remarkable MoMA. I think he was the youngest living artist to ever be in the MoMA collection, if I'm not mistaken. Let's go with and, that, I believe it. And, um, and he... Uh, he put the hat on, but Ricky did one better. As a joke, I dropped the lip balm in the bag for the hat just to see, like, what he'd... Uh, yeah. uh, just as an extra. Older because gentlemen, I wasn't they, get, they get chapped lips, I get but, it. Uh, but I wasn't even... I was like, what am I going to do with these lip balms? Anyhow, Ricky got Frank to market the lip balm. So if you go on the in Instagram, I, I've got a Frank Stella marketing my lip balm, which is rather... Well, it's just remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it, it's bizarre and remarkable, amazing. I mean, the fact that you start with uh, with Jeff, like, you know, someone who's who's taken marketing and the act of marketing consumers and throughout his practice, start there, and then a bunch of other great uh, living 
living artist is totally incredible. And then did people start trying to buy the hats after they saw them here? Did you? Yeah, you no. I mean, that was the or? idea. I, I actually said they were fifty dollars. I thought it was such a joke of a price. I was making them on uh, like Michelle made them on Zazzle. They probably cost I don't know. They were expensive to make. They were like 25 bucks and then they had to ship them. So I'm like, you know, we'll charge 50 bucks. But for a hat that's worth about 199 from, I don't know. So I was like, this is a markup. It started, I thought, let's push it as far as I can because, and then it turned out people wanted to be part of a thing. And mm -hmm. I was just very grateful. But then I got to various other people over, I mean, David Hockney wore one, Ed Ruscha, Barslitz. I stuck his image upside down. Um, I, f I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, no, there was. It was just. It became a thing. People wanted a piece of it. I can't remember. I mean, there was. There were lots of other people. Also, eventually, through Joel and Niels Cantor, they got it on uh, top the K K pop stars head, and then it just blew up. About sixty grand's worth of orders came overnight from from Korea. From Korea. So at which point I had to contact my mate who was in the in the clothing business and rather than like cancel the orders and and just like say I'm not a hat dealer and move on I like my alcoholic behavior I was like I've got to fulfill these these uh orders and I pressed on so I found my pal who's in the manufacturing business who and he he uh put a bunch of hats on um uh, on someone else's order in the Timberland factory in in China and I managed to fulfill the orders uh, that's incredible, but it also kind of brings about, you know, really, it focuses on two strands when I think of you. One is your, like, your willingness to take something all the way, no matter what it is, uh, whether it's holding up the bar at Moran's or whether it's running, whatever it is, like, taking it to the absolute, like, just pushing and, and like, even if it seems absurd, just going that. But also your deep integration as someone who's really important and loves the art world and is very much in it and loves artists. Um, and is a student of it, and you have these two things intertwined, uh, creates a, a crazy marketing possibility, I suppose. Well, I mean, it gave me something to do, to be honest. I mean, I love marketing, and I also am a total enthusiast when it comes to art. I mean, I live and breathe for it. I grew up in it. There's nothing else that I know how to do. And um, my mother was in the fashion business, actually, and also my father was in the manufacturing business. So I quite like the combination of what these things are, sort of a chip off the old block on both sides of, of, of the uh, the coin, if you like. My mother in fashion, I would, I would love to think I was in high fashion like she was, but with my Zazzle baseball caps. But, you know, I did go Timbaland in the end. And then free and easy, the brand made me um, some of my baseball caps. That was like the second iteration. And then... Um, yeah, my mother has a sh clothing store in, in the northwest of have, England. Does she still have that yeah, shop? Yeah, she's like 27, 30-odd years, and it's a it's a beautiful townhouse. So I think the inspiration for this gallery, in a way, comes from her side of the thing. And then the art side is my old man. Yeah, the wheeling and dealing, too, maybe yeah, a little bit. Yeah, probably the wheeling and dealing. But I then mean, again, my mum's a good wheeler and dealer, too. Yeah, I suppose she just does it in a quiet, uh, a slightly more understated way, I guess is, is, is the way to say it. Um, so you're making these hats, you're selling them. You, you did some other, I mean... There's this incredible watch you just showed me, which is a mashup photograph of uh, of Larry Gagosian and Joel Messler. Well, that was just an odd shoot of a watch. I mean, I actually had watches with a hug from the art world on, but Joel, once upon a time, had had this amazing image of himself superimposed um, um, onto Larry's image from a magazine in front of his Twombly painting, and it was just such a great fit that I just rolled with it. Needless to say, it wasn't a big seller, and that's why you were taking one away. <laughs> that's with why I'm you. getting a freebie now. Now, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, but it, but I just mean to say, it went beyond hats to all sorts of other different kind of well, merchandising. Well, in the end, things. I was like, you know what? I love the merchandising aspect, but like, you know. I'm an art dealer and it makes sense that I should continue to be an art dealer. So I eventually started doing more and more pop-ups, not just because the first one was successful, but because I enjoyed it. And second of all, I thought it was, again, time to give something back. I mean, my, my motto with this whole thing is to sort of try and show artists which might need a push into the right direction to get into our version of the art world. Yeah, yeah, and but it's timeline-wise, how how long were you after the pop up and you started kind of doing the hats? How long before you did your next pop up? I think the next one. So the first one was in the May two thousand and eighteen, and the follow up to it was the J January of two thousand nineteen. 
and that was a drawing show with Joel, a drawing show with Joel Messler. What we did was we did a box set of drawings. There were three drawings for three thousand bucks each, and they were like an edition of twenty or thirty. I can't remember. And uh, we we sold a few of them, and it was a fantastic show. I mean, we sold out. I think actually from everything in the exhibition, there were like eighteen or twenty on display. We sold them all. And how were you finding real estate opportunities when you were doing these pop-ups? Because they were in all different locations. As yeah, well, for the first lot was at this thing called Highline Night Galleries, which was very close to Paul Kasman's new setup. And um, there's like a sort of, it reminds me a bit of the Burlington Arcade in London in terms of what the idea of it is. But in terms of how it looks, it's very different. It's very, very contemporary star architecture type thing. Um, they're beautifully architecturally designed gallery spaces and they're little vestibules which are glass fronted. So you walk through the corridor and everyone can see what's going on inside. And they were only like three, four, five, six hundred square foot. So they were manageable. And um, they, I think they built that space because there was so much construction under the High Line and related with a company that put it all there that they finally couldn't, it was like an oversaturated thing for galleries. So they were like, how do we deal with this space? We can't sell it to one individual. So let's just break it up and like give people an opportunity to do pop-ups. And so I jumped on it and um, they gave me the first one for free actually. So so January, February, I was like, okay, it's for nothing. Let's, let's go ahead. And then I kept renting that we space throughout the, whole, deal. throughout the whole year. And it, uh, it didn't cost very much. Sometimes, the, like in peak times in May, they wanted 13 grand. I chipped them down to six. And then if sometimes, like if they wanted six, I would always pay three. I would always do it last minute. I would never say, do it in advance. And then I'd have an idea ready to go. And were you, were you able to begin selling art right away out of this? Like, I mean, obviously, well, Joel's kept- was very successful because he was starting to, his career was starting to pick up and people wanted a piece of the action. But like, I still had to sell them. I, it wasn't a case of people coming to me to buy them at that point. I had to sell them. But then there was one, the, the thing that really, other than Ollie, which was very successful, that really broke out was the Eric Doringer show. I, uh, I met Eric years ago on the streets of New York outside Gagosian on 24th Street and he was selling bootlegs out out of his uh, out of a suitcase and they were like 70 bucks each and they were like images of like you know maybe like 8 inches by 10 inches or 8 inches by 6 inches verses of Damien Hirst, John Curran anyone you can think of Pat Steer or all of the big gallows, whoever showed the major artists, he was making bootlegs. They were like 75 bucks. I would buy them for friends of mine and just give them as gifts. And so years went by. We'd collaborated. I bought them for gifts to people. And I called them up and said, Eric, have you ever thought about doing an auction in real time? He said, yeah, I have, but uh, I can't do it because I need time to prepare for them. So I said, well, how about we try and bootleg the May evening sale in real time? in 2019 so he said all right if you can get me the information ahead of time then I'm on so I called a few people at Christie's they fed me a bit of information as they were getting of what was going to come in and I got very lucky it was the sign new house sale so there was a lot of iconic artworks and so we managed to pull it off and I opened up our preview of the Christie's evening sale in May 2019 the day before they opened their own preview and the New York Times picked it up and it just went nuts I mean I think I sold like 150 of these things I mean it was an incredible project yeah it was, it was good it was, it was a really, lot of really fun special. and it, uh, people were really enthusiastic and also Christie's were quoted in the New York Times saying they were behind the idea they loved the idea and in fact they ended up buying like 17 or 20 works from the show to give to the people that won the bids on the real oh really i didn't know that that's incredible yeah it was really really good quite bright of them as opposed to being kind of like snotty or annoyed or uh, to to realize it as an opportunity marketing wise and other yeah well chris's have always been good in that regard i think i mean i i interned there that was one of my first jobs in the art world in 1997 Oh Jesus Christ! We'll we'll get back we'll get we'll get back to the to to, to the beginnings of the career. Um, yeah, that was a great show, and you had commercial success with it. Yeah, I mean, I I think well, Eric used to sell. He told me like on a good Saturday, um, outside Gagosian, like maybe fifteen years ago, he maybe you know eight paintings, and we sold something like hundred and seventy of them in like the space of two two or three weeks i think he was happy i took the idea to la as well for felix and we um 
we bootlegged the Broad and spelt it slightly differently, as we did with Christie's. We spelt Christie's Y apostrophe S. So we sort of played around with the marketing. Yeah, but in both cases, using the same font and kind of graphic treatment. Yeah, it was the same exact thing. We just wanted to do it in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that one, actually, but that was was interesting as well. But you don't generally do multiple projects with, with artists, right? As a general rule, no. I mean, the idea is to work with someone and hopefully they get picked up by someone else or notice and then that propels their career forward. I mean, it's a great model because, A, it is giving back, like you said. It's giving people a platform, um, and it allows you to engage people but not have to, you know, to be able to do shows without having to feel as though you're looking after someone's career in the long term, right? It allows you to give them a platform, hopefully pass them along to better hands that can Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest with you, if someone wants to continue to work with me, I'm not going to say no. If they ask, yes, but that's not my intention ever. I mean exactly right there's no point competing any longer i mean every single day like today there was another thing pat steers represented globally by Hausenworth. i mean you know no point representing an artist anymore and someone in my position um because the big guys just take them in any case i mean don't forget i also work at gagosian so i mean i'm trying to do something separate to that i mean i love working there and um, we have a fabulous Dan Colin exhibition on at 21st Street now, and it's just a different beast altogether. Dan's an art star from, you know, when we were emerging ourselves, and like he, these things are at a completely different price point. He's in museums all over the world and major collections. You know, it's a different thing. Yeah, no, no, of course, and it allows you to do two things and use, I would think, two fairly different sides of your brain, right? Exactly. I mean, what I noticed during COVID, and not just that, but after like post the financial crisis in 2008, I noticed that the art market thrived at the very, very high end and that the sort of middle market disappeared. And it's sort of still very tough, the middle market. And then the lower end of the art market sort of merged with what I call the hype beast market. So like people trying to buy sneakers for five grand online as the same sort of people that want to buy a cause toy at StockX too. And then if you play it right, you can sort of, um, it's the same people in, I think in like youngsters in China at the time that were interested in buying emerging art. So I tried to tap into that area, even though I don't have any Chinese clients. I just thought they, they, they were probably the same market area. And it turned out that that was the right assumption and people have no issue like buying an artwork for $1,000 or $5,000 just as sort of, um, I don't know, like... Um, a thing, you know? Yeah, to be to be in the game in a way. Exactly. To, to be in the game. Yeah, I've, I've certainly noticed that as well, the merging with the hype beast model. Yeah, uh, scary but true. About how many projects ballpark have you done thus far? Like uh, exhibition projects? Well, I so. opened here in January and this is my eighth show. So I've been rolling them over quite quickly. I'm going to slow down now though because it's, it's, um, it's uh, I don't know. I installed the shows on Monday when I'm not at Gagosian and it's just a lot of turnaround. So I just want to slow down. But um, I've done, I can't remember exactly. Maybe this is my 16th show in total and, and eighth at this location. I mean, that's crazy. That's a ton of work. I'm not sure how you find the time. I noticed once I got sober is once I had, I had a lot more time on my hands. And um, I feel like now the busier I am, the more time I have just simply because I organize my time better. Going back and kind of taking a, a bit pivot, you know, uh, hug the art world, is, uh, hug from the art world is one part of your practice, if you will, kind of what you do. And as you said, you're also a director at Gagosian, overseeing one of the spaces here in Chelsea, and have been there for many years. I now realize, as I think about it. But how did it start? You grew up. Yeah, I know your, your your folks had a couple pictures around the house when you were growing up. Uh, kind of where did your love and interest in art stem from? Was it from that? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I grew up with pictures in the house. Um, For the most part, they were modern British pictures. So, you know, um, people in the contemporary terms understand that as like Freud and Bacon. But this was sort of the, there were no Freuds and Bacons. There were the people like Lowry and Stanley Spencer and Edward Burrow. And they're they're all amazing artists. I'm lucky to have, have a, a knowledge of these guys, um, and still now a lot of my um, um, a lot of my inspiration is informed by these guys' works. In fact, my um, November show here at Hug from the Art World is going to be Beryl Cook, and she was a massive. Her massive influence of her was Stanley Spencer and and Edward Burrow, and she's never had a show in in um, 
in New York before. So, and it'll be an estate show. She passed away a few years back. So this is rather exciting. But yeah, I grew up with it. My father sold his manufacturing business or supermarket uh, business of wallpaper, paint, DIY, that sort of thing in round about 99, turn a millimeter the millennium and it was just around the time I was applying to university so rather than like applying to go and do a business thing which I might have gone into his his business that he was all for me applying to Goldsmiths College to do the first year of art history there uh, but uh, I didn't do particularly great in my exam predictions before I was going to university so I uh, didn't apply the first year and did an internship at Christie's for a solid year um before I applied to school with my grades and then they took me in at Goldsmiths and then I was in and around the mix and I you know this was this fabulous school where I was I basically studied with the studio art program as well as the art history program so you're in London in the mid to late 90s yeah exactly that was exactly it, it was like 90, 90 98 99 yeah, okay. And I'd seen Sensation and that was a massive I mean anyone that was interested in art and saw Sensation was like a wowed I just loved every aspect of it and I realized it could it was a marketing thing as well I must have been interested in marketing and like didn't really know about it but like art presented that for me um in that from that show so I think of your dad is also con uh, collecting some of that generation so were you guys kind of getting an, interested in the same type of art around the same yeah, absolutely. time I mean to be honest with you he's my old man's 79 now you can't even believe it or he at least is in October but he's more on the ball than I am he shows me artists so I mean Sachi was buying like stuff the YBAs but my father's focus wasn't that he went into Germany and we would go to Berlin together in 97 98 on buying trips or seeing into artist studios like Neo Rauch we went in there Leipzig like right at the beginning it's kind of amazing and so we got into that like I'm just trying to think the um, um a lot of these artists that I went to see have all had like retrospectives at MoMA or the Tate since then like Franz Ackerman another one um so on and so I mean, forth. I remember you. I never really understood Neo Rauk, and I remember I had one when I was working at Phillips up for sale. And I was like, Adam, help me with this. Like, what is going on? Like, why do people care about this? And your explanation made me like such a lifelong fan of that practice. Your true understanding of what's going on in his paintings um, actually changed my life for the better in terms of at least my engagement with that artist. I would say that's a miracle. Yeah, uh, for the first time, <laughs> Thank I God think for I've them. explained anything to anyone, and it's sunk in. Hey, you helped me sell the fucker anyway. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> um, anyway, so you're living in in London. Uh, did you graduate from Goldsmiths? I did. Yeah. Thank Bravo. you for well thank you for pausing when asking that question. Yeah, I did. I graduated from Goldsmiths and then went straight to do a master's program at Sotheby's Institute in London, which, to be honest with you, was, was the greatest thing I ever did, and I still stand by that. I went straight into it, and I basically spent. 14 months traveling around Europe looking at art museums. I mean, it, like, who doesn't want to do that if you're interested in art? And it was an amazing thing, practice. At Goldsmiths, I didn't look at a single artwork for three years. It was a very heavy theoretical degree. You just sat in a classroom. And the one, it was quite a badly organized um, course, but it, I learned a lot from other people. But there was one trip to the Tate once in the whole three years, and the teacher never showed up. So it was like we never even... I got the opportunity to walk around there. So at, at Sotheby's, the first thing they did is they gave you an artwork to learn and study and said, you're going to talk about this next week when you go to Museum Ludwig. So I got, I stood in front of one of Christo's shop windows from the 50s, very early piece, and they made you talk about it for 30 minutes. Well, when you start to talk about something for 30 minutes, you really start to look. And that's a skill that I've taken in and an interest to this day like you start to break down what you're really looking at yeah i mean that's that's the name of our game right is to really look and not just glance I yeah think i exactly. think maybe there are too many people that are just glancing um you know looking at an image on a pdf as opposed to really thinking about it and what an object means to them and to the world um what so what year was it that you graduated from uh that program i think it was 99 2000 2001 was goldsmiths 2001 to 22 was um sotheby's and you're still in london when do you first start coming to new york i did 14 months with haunch of venison wow uh, um, uh, bef uh before i came to new york i met larry in london someone introduced us sandy heller and um he was amazing and he uh took a gamble and and uh 
said um, he'd be happy for me to come and work for him. And he offered me a position in London. And I said, I want to come to New York. And he made it happen. So I'm very grateful. That's incredible. Oh, they just took a flyer. He's like, yeah, okay, come to New York. Yeah, he was... You don't know anyone here. You don't have any clients, but yeah, come on over. Yeah, I came with two suitcases and a cell phone number with... What was his name? He was a real character. My dad had a taxi driver from the 80s when he came and he picked me up in his 1979 burgundy Cadillac and then dropped me and threw... There was like... There was a seven foot of snow. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I was dropped off in the West Village staying at... a a friend's mother's house who I'd never met. I'd never even met the friend. My sister knew this guy and she said, I've got, um, I've got a place for you to stay. You can stay at his mum's house, which I did. And the guy, I think his name was Mustafa. And he, he threw the suitcases over the snow and that was that. And I was supposed to stay like a few days, but I would end up doing, this lady since passed away, she was amazing, but I would do her J-Date page in the morning and she'd make me locks and, and, and cream cheese bagels. And I ended up staying six weeks, at which point the, the sun came over and I was like, what are you still doing here? <laughs> you, do, you do her online J-Dating page? Yeah, no, because it was just the start of all that stuff. So I was like trying to help her with her profile. That's what I do in the morning before I go to work. So you've always had your hand just kind of a little bit in tech, you know? I've never thought of you as a very oh, yeah, tech. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Seriously in tech. I got a uh, an email address the second year that I was at Goldsmiths College. And I was like, oh, God, what a pain. This won't take. Um, seems like I got that right, that prediction. Well, no, but but, but no, this is this is my core point, though, is that it doesn't like you're, you're not a tech guy, but yet you use all these weird tools and these great image mashups and you make these incredible gifts and videos, but in a very naive, uh, naive way. And they're, Maybe they're really I'm good fantastic. Maybe I'm good with my hands. I don't know, but like you can I think do you all just this have stuff a fantastic imagination and a drive. That's very sweet of you. Uh, I mean, drive, I think, I think so now. I'm addicted to, to working. I used to be addicted to, to booze and then I was addicted to running and then during COVID I was addicted to reading. I read like 52 books the year of co the first year of COVID, which was nuts. And now I'm hoping that I've sort of managed to sort of do things in moderation. But drive's a good thing to be addicted to, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, and if you can make a little bit of scratch, maybe not so bad either. Well, yeah, I mean... It would be that that's helpful for sure. Um, so you land in New York, and uh, so you've been at the gallery almost twenty years. Uh, twenty is, is slight no, but it'll be eighteen in January. Okay, wow, incredible, incredible. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't even believe it. Actually, I mean, I since I've been in the art world, I I, I started at the New Museum in maybe two thousand five, and I was in graduate school before that. You've always been at Gagosi. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember you when know. you were at the New Museum. Yeah, I mean, I even remember before I knew you. I think it was when I was still at the Whitney Independent Study Program, going to like, the Armory. It must have been on a weekend day, and seeing two lads wearing suits and sneakers, looking hungover as heck. It was back when when Gagosi must have done that fair, and I didn't know you then. And I'm not certain of it, but I'm pretty sure it was you and a mutual friend of ours that were that were stuck in the booth. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I remember we did one thing at the Armory over the years and they actually gifted us a booth. I probably shouldn't say that, but um, and we did this display of uh, Warhol paintings. There was a giant... The first show at uh, the the Gagosian space on 21st Street, which Larry asked me to, to, to run for him, was Cast a Cold Eye, which was the late works of Andy Warhol. And during that exhibition, we had a massive camouflage painting and there was I, I think at the armory we displayed a few late works and one of them was in a massive camouflage painting i think that was 2006 yeah that would make sense i mean it's all a bit hazy but like i just have this very specific I mean, like, but it was the guys, only time we've done the army I was like, those guys I've are so cool wearing sneakers with suits and you know now i would now i'd look askance now i wear uh tracksuit bottoms with uh, sneakers it's a bit more comfortable yeah you've been hanging around with kenny a bit too much but you know that's a different story um yeah, so you, so you were in kind of, you are in kind of the blue chippiest of blue chip of the contemporary and secondary art market. Uh, and how do you reconcile, and it's so generous that the gallery understands that this is so totally separate. How were you able to reconcile a way that you could do both things and be both of the people that you are? Uh, yeah, no, it was a tricky one because I was always quite protectionist of my position um, with Gagosian. I didn't ever want to the hug from the art world thing to interfere or cause a problem um, because I love um, working at Gagosian. Um, but in the end, I needed to, after doing this first pop-up, uh, I got the, the urge to want to help 
artists and give back but not just that I get a thrill out of working with them and the personal relationships and I wasn't really doing that at Gigos and my role there is to work with clients even though I work with artists because there's always artists around and I have relationships with them it's more of a social uh, practice and which I'm grateful for um, but it, um, how did I reconcile it it sort of grew into its own thing and happened organically so I was very lucky they're extremely supportive I mean Larry asked me once I opened up this space, how could we collaborate, which I was amazed by and, and truly grateful. But there's no real um, competition because I'm doing something entirely different. But when I signed the lease on this space, um, it also helped, I think, that I went on a sales blitz for the gallery in the last quarter of last year. And so when we had the conversation and finally emerged about me opening the space, I, it came from a position where I'd uh, had my best quarter I've ever had in the 18 years. Um, you know, paying the rent on this space made me panic at first. And I, <laughs> I, yeah, was, yeah. Uh, I was fortunate. And I think um, you and I actually um, concluded a very major Damien Hirst deal um, Indeed, in, indeed. In that, uh, in August last year, which was at the start of that, uh, that. Um, I'm glad I put that, you on a hot streak. Yeah, no, absolutely. A, hug, he's, he's a the, hug streak, did you say? <laughs> no, it's not a hot streak, but it could be a hug streak. Well, I, I think both as people who, uh, uh, you know, have limited control sometimes over when things happen and how they happen. These things do happen in streaks, right? And there's nothing you can you can do about it other than like make sure you stay on the horse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'd love to think that you're in control of what you're doing in terms of sales perspective. And of course, if you're in the mix, you are within a little bit of your own control of your own destiny but the reality is is someone might be doing a house or someone might need something and if those things all happen at the same time like you have three clients building three different houses or just sold their businesses which is what happened to me I was able to sell a number of artworks because people are in the market but in this business you've got to be constantly looking for new people and that's not to say you shouldn't uh, drop the old people quite the opposite because they may give you things back and you can like evolve the collection but really new people all the time is what this business is about and oftentimes though old people are the ones that introduce you to new people yeah absolutely. at least in my experience like that's i mean the best way to meet a new client is through an existing happy client absolutely once i um i uh figured out my life in the positive way in terms of getting healthy there was a number of older statesmen that came into play and i they started to acquire art, artworks from me in support of me because they loved the same things but also in support of keeping me sober and then they've since now they've seen that i was able to stay sober for a number of years have started to introduce me to a number of their other um um friends and, and colleagues um that are of a younger generation and uh and you know hopefully people grow with you yeah but i mean to return to the story though it was much easier to have the conversation with larry about you opening a, f a permanent physical space because you had a whole bunch of good numbers on a piece of paper in front well of you. yeah i mean it was that too and also though i didn't really um i never even told him because i was kind of nervous to tell him in a way because i'd done so many other pop-ups and what have you and it never seemed to be an issue because they were never really interfering so i just sort of it was a natural growth. And then a colleague of mine happened to um, email the gallery an, an Instagram post that I made of having celebrating my sobriety and opening up this space. And that's how it all came about. And uh, so I was grateful a colleague did that because it helped me uh, having to do it myself. I hope they I hope they did it from a, from a point of positivity. Well, I hope so, but it's, um, yeah. it ended up being that. So that's the main thing. Super. Um, well, I urge everyone to come check out this show. I really like it. I'm going to spend some time here with you looking at these pictures a little bit more closely. Um, I love you. I love that you're in the world. I love that what you're doing here. It's such an important energy to bring. And thanks for joining us, Adam. Oh, no, I'm th absolutely thrilled. Thanks for having me. I'm really proud of this Howie Michael show. It's a great discovery. 73 years of age and never really shown, even though he's uh, in the collections of many of his peers and artists we know. They're amazing. They're like Hieronymus Bosch meets Max Beckman, I think. They're amazing. Yeah, they're really, they're actually, they're really incredibly painted and they, they take some time to really appreciate it. So come in and see them in person. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Adam. Nota bene. Out.